Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Welcome to the second in a series of four programs that highlights events that took place in the last 20 or so years that changed the world of religious freedom. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is with us to highlight that event. Lincoln is retiring, and I wanted him to share some of what happened during those two decades since he joined the magazine and has impacted religious freedom in profound ways. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Now, Lincoln, last time we talked about the homeschooling crisis and you outlined some of the events that took place around that idea of religious freedom, homeschooling. How has the world changed number two? What do we need to remember? Well, let me go way back in history. I think everything's understood best in a full context. Good. When I studied history and church-state history in particular and the Reformation, what struck me was, like in England, one of the first things Henry VIII did was to take over the monasteries. Mm-hmm. Because until his time, the church had accumulated incredible uh, holdings, was very wealthy, and also the church had political power. I mean, it was entitled to it, not proper. And the church taxed people, and the church had concessions from the government. In other words, it was eating its cake and having it too. (laughs) I mean, the whole deal, it wanted everything. And so money was at the root of it. And I came into the job well aware, in particular, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's religious liberty recommendation that we should avoid state money. Hmm. Because just as in Henry VIII's time, when there's money involved, the state will want control eventually, want the money. You know, we all, once a year, make out a tax return. We know the government's searching every nook and cranny of our existence. Where can it get some money? And so far, it's been quite helpful to churches in the United States because of this understanding of the value of religion in contradiction to the Second Amendment separation of church and state. There's concessions, tax concessions given to the church. Well, you know, we live with that. But then to go the next step and ask the state to give money to run schools and to run church programs is really begging for a blowback where the state starts to do what Henry VIII did, take control of everything. And so when I came into Liberty Magazine, there was a furious debate going on about vouchers for school programs. It always reminded me of the magician with the walnut shells and and, uh, the pea under the walnut shell, and there were four of them, and you shuffle them around. Which one is the pea under? So with vouchers, the discussion would flip-flop, you know, well, it's not real. The money's not really going to the school. It's going to the parent. They get a voucher, which they then give to the school, and they cash it in and get the money, but the voucher was given to the parent. And I don't think too many states, certainly not the United States, was fooled by that sort of a sleight of hand. The budget was allowed money to fund schools or young people attending church schools. And when the state is giving a lot of money, first of all, it feels that it has some control. And secondly, when that control is exercised, the church is financially disinclined to resist it because 
so much of the money is coming from the state. Yes, yes. So it, it's a very corrupting sort of an influence. And so we debated this on and on for several years when I came into the job. And I remember at one point it moved to another level. And this is really what I'm wanting to talk about on this program. President Bush came along already happy as a Christian with uh, the government giving money to his church. Yes. I'm not sure he'd be too keen for others like Muslims getting it. But at that time, you know, the religious right were on the rise and he wanted to further their dipping into the pot. But he took it the next step. He came up with what was called the Faith-Based Initiative. Mm. And I remember him saying publicly once his idea was to, rather than give billions of dollars through the state welfare system, to channel those billions through the churches who, it was felt by government at that time, were more effectively and more economically feeding uh, the homeless and doing all the good deeds that the Bible calls us to do, maybe not calling the government so strongly. And uh, the trick was, under the First Amendment mandate for what amounts to a separation of church and state, how could it be done? And I remember at a crucial point, the then editor of Christianity Today, very much in favour of faith-based initiative. He says, well, you know, there's a lot of objection to it. He says, we may need to voucherize it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which to me was an exposure that they yes. understood that this was a shell game and that the real goal was just to get the money to the churches. How they did it was an expedient, not important in itself. And uh, President Bush was quite successful. But the supreme irony was, and it's seldom been mentioned, but I've been in many meetings where the facts came out, that once they started processing these immense amounts of money through the churches, and they were doing good things with it, there's no question on that level, but once they started funneling it through, the church giving to those programs faded away. Mm. It debilitated the spiritual commitment of the churches themselves. Of course, it went on to higher levels than that. Then uh, I remember talking to Carl Esbeck, the commissar, for want of a better term, for faith-based initiatives in the Justice Department. They had a lead person in every department of the government to make sure faith-based initiatives processed well. And uh, I asked him about it from a legal point of view, and you know, he had some excuses, and I said, well, it seems to me, because with George Bush, very quickly we had 9-11 and... Mm -hmm the turn against Islamic influence in the U.S. I said, it seems to me that when you are funneling money through the churches, you don't just hand it out willy-nilly. There's a process where they have to apply for it. And when they successfully apply, they go on a list as an acceptable church to process state money through. Mm -hmm. And some that don't pass muster, they're not acceptable. You have in a de facto way, established acceptable and unacceptable religions in the United States. Interesting, yeah. And I think he saw it, but he couldn't formally acknowledge it. But that's exactly what's happened, and it furthered the paranoia, not just of the Bush administration, but even of the Trump era, where that was used, I think, cynically, mm -hmm. to motivate people to a sort of a reactionary patriotism. So this faith-based initiative is not done well. And the voucher system with the schools and the faith-based initiative and the latest episode on the faith-based initiative, not called as much, was during the COVID emergency. There were monies given out to businesses. And it was even said to the churches there would be government handouts. 
And, you know, I thank the Lord that on at least this occasion, my own church officially discouraged the individual churches from taking the monies. Mm-hmm. But many did. And this is just further the bands of complication, the iron bands of complication between church and state. And so it's been a big battle, big battle. And I can't say clearly, even at this late point, that the majority of, of Christians or other people of faith quite see the danger. You know, I'm thinking of an old saying, a take off on an old saying, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. And that seems to be what's happening here. He who has the gold makes the rules. And if the government has the gold and they're going to give it to us, guess where the rules are coming from? Just guess. Right. Absolutely. And then there's two interesting aspects of this that I do want to mention. One, I remember I was in a, uh, a meeting at Catholic University and there was a representative from Catholic Charities there, and he was talking to a few other Protestant charity groups too. And he bragged in front of them that the overwhelming majority of monies given to churches goes to Catholic Charities. So, you know, it's not an equitable thing. In a perverse financial way, it's sort of drawing us back to the hegemony of the pre-Reformation period where one singular... Roman Catholic Church had financial control over much of secular life. And the other thing that's worth mentioning, I don't want to give a whole program to it, but most churches now are in a total lather of fear, obviously, of the newfound gay rights Mm -hmm. that they see as now moving to restrict their ability to speak to the sinfulness of the situation, and, and that's regrettable. But further... It's limiting the right of of church organizations to restrict membership or to discipline people for uh, gay behavior or on college campuses to maintain that this lifestyle doesn't fit a Christian norm. Mm -hmm. And even worse than that, some government mandates are moving toward requiring gay co-ed accommodations in colleges and so on. Horrific stuff from a church point of view. And it's all riding, not on a moral question, That's been given up a long time ago. It's all riding on who's paying the money. And if you've got a church college that takes a significant number of of state monies, of course the state expects you to obey state mandates, Mm -hmm. immoral as they may be. The state is not, you know, the holy church of of the Immaculate Conception. The state is a conglomeration of all the thinking of the many people that make up a society. Some religious, some not. And as long as it keeps out of religion, that's fine. But now here's religious people taking government money, offended by what the government is proclaiming, and it's a sign of the times that a corrupt society would pass such things. Mm -hmm. But what logic do the churches have to say, we won't do it? They're bought dollar and cents by the state. And it's the present crisis And I believe it will get worse very quickly in the next couple of years. The present crisis facing Christian institutions. Lincoln, here's a thought. Why don't we depend on God who has told us that the cattle on a thousand hills are his, that he owns all the gold and silver in the entire world? Why don't we as churches and schools depend on that source of income as opposed to a secular government source of income? What's going on? That's a burning question. And on this program before, I've told the story of the Seventh Avenue Church in Newfoundland. Only 
about a thousand members, in fact, a little less than a thousand members. But for many years, they ran three or four schools sacrificially and they maintained them. They were in no danger of disappearing. Mm-hmm. And then, after quite a few years, the Canadian government announced that since they were supporting Catholic schools, they would support all church schools. So the funding became moot. Yeah. And then again, there was a government change after a few years of that state funding, and the funding disappeared. The schools immediately closed. Oh, my. Because they felt they couldn't support them. But the irony was they were doing it just fine before the government money. They found that with the government money, it debilitated the sense of sacrifice and giving within the church system. Well, Lincoln Steed, soon-to-retire editor of Liberty Magazine, thank you for sharing this second way the world changed during your tenure there. And we have a website, libertymagazine.org, if you'd like to continue. And it will continue. And it will continue. Yeah, the, <laughs> the magazine's going on, and the website's going on. Lincoln is just going someplace else. That's libertymagazine.org. Waiting for heaven. <laughs> Waiting for heaven, yes. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Lincoln Steed, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.